0: been a festival of food and i'm okay with that definitely i guess What what else are we gonna do
1: yeah that's the point of thanksgiving i guess and i'm i'm still full because it was pretty rich and ate a lot on thanksgiving and then just kept on eating for the next three days
0: yes uh that casserole cast made is delicious but it definitely is more than for three people but we're we're doing our best
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It was, um, I think it's like chicken sausage.
0: Chicken sausage, Gruyere cheese, Mm. and uh, croissants. Yeah. All goes together very well.
1: Yeah, it was wildly good. Very good. Anyways, um, so let's talk about movies, I guess.
0: I guess so. Uh, That's another thing we could do besides eating food.
1: Exactly. Um, Okay, so everyone, hello. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to "Come Back a Star," a movie award cautionary tale.
0: Yes, it's a, it's kind of a, a very special episode in that it's different than what we usually do because this was not nominated,
1: right? For so best picture. Yeah, usually we are watching every best picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, but this week we are doing a movie that we felt should have Absolutely. been nominated in this year and this uh, particular season. And this week's episode is number zero two three. The Public Enemy, starring uh, a James Cagney.
0: You might have heard of him.
1: I, I've I've heard a lot of people making great impressions of him.
0: Yeah, okay Cag- but- oh wait, that's Robinson. Um, <laughs> he's he's a memorable a memorable guy. He's one of my faves.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm sure I've watched other movies with him in it, but. Uh, This is the first time I've really known like, oh, hey, this is James Cagney.
0: Probably because I was, you know, building it up so much like, yeah, Jimmy Cagney. (laughs) So kind of inescapable.
1: Right, right. Uh, So just a a brief uh, covering what we do on this podcast. We are going to kind of go ahead and summarize the plot and offer some some delightful insights, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Some of them incisive, some of them comedic. We'll find out
0: some of them just off the wall crazy or not
1: or not or pretty mundane.
0: Pretty mundane. Yeah.
1: Sometimes enraged. Yeah. Looking at you, Trader Horn. Yeah. Uh, We're going to keep bringing that one up. It's just like the worst movie it's ever. It's the thorn
0: worst... in the lion's paw of this whole podcast.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it scarred us.
0: It did. It did. Just like it killed those actual cast members. So. Oof. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, but we're not we're not reviewing Trader Horn today.
0: Thank God.
1: Reviewing The Public Enemy, which is a good movie.
0: It's a good movie, a genuinely good movie. Although I don't think it would be as well remembered without Jimmy Cagney. But we can get into that.
1: Yeah, we will. And we might get into that in our rating system, which we do after we've summarized the plot a little bit. We've after we've kind of thought about it and mulled it over, we assign Uh, scores on various categories like acting writing cinematography and then we give them a chance for some bonus points for like technical things costumes and set um and some more subjective type uh categories as well
0: yeah we've put everything in this soup
1: all right so should we should we get into the summary here
0: let's do it
1: all right William A. Wellman's The Public Enemy opens in 1905 Chicago. Boyhood pals Tom Powers and Matt Doyle start out as petty thieves who sell their loot to gangster Putty Nose. Tom gets in trouble with his policeman father, who regularly beats him with a strap. He also butts head with his virtuous brother, Mike. And I think like the first crime that we see them get into is stealing beer.
0: Uh, stealing beer. They also steal uh, clocks.
1: Oh, yeah, that's Uh, right.
0: From like a from like a shopping mall. I was very surprised to learn that there were escalators in 1905, unless that was a goof on the filmmaker's part, because uh, there's a somewhat, as you pointed out, kind of Marx Brothers feel to the police chasing them, the little boys up escalators as they uh, try to escape with their loot. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's a it's pretty entertaining little scene.
0: Lighthearted larceny with children.
1: Yeah. These scamps running up a escalator getting the police trapped on the escalator then getting to the top and sliding down like like cool kids
0: and then i think it's a really cool juxtaposition to the kind of just stark uh cruelty of uh tom's father who's just this kind of Uh, he he doesn't have a single line and i think you know it's implied he dies young because this is the only time we see him but he's got like a uh i think it's clear he's a cop because he has like the police helmet Right, and which just, he just wears
1: around. Which he just
0: wears around as he wears, like, you know, wife beater and, and baggy pants. And he, uh, yeah, he's like this just loomy giant of a man who doesn't say a word, but beats his son. And it's just like, <laughs> you could see why Tom goes down this path.
1: Right. Oh, and we we did mention that the, uh, the larceny was cute and everything like that. But the movie is very clear at the start. It gives a warning.
0: Yes, there is a disclaimer at the beginning and the end saying, uh, uh, this is bad.
1: Yeah, it's like this, this movie's not to glorify the criminal or the hoodlum. Mm. They're, they're, they're menaces to us all, but it, it kind of does.
0: Yeah, it does. And also it's kind of like, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but like prohibition is the big crime that they're involved in throughout. And it's right. like, who gives a crap about breaking the law when it's prohibition? Yeah. So.
1: I guess, they, I mean, they, they also kind of play with that as well. Um, it's, You know, drinking beer and everything like that is not a problem for the for the uh, director and and the movie makers. It's 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 the murder. It's the murder and and the intimidation
0: tactics and all of that. Right.
1: Right. And this was
0: still a couple of years
1: before the repeal of Mm -hmm. prohibition. So all of this was very real. Yeah. to, To people at the time. I mean, especially in Chicago.
0: Oh, Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, how many of the movies we've watched recently uh, either like explicitly take place in Chicago or it's implied it takes place in Chicago. And
1: and that prohibition is such a key point Mm -hmm. in all of these crime dramas that we've seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 30s movies kind of have this reputation of like ignoring a lot of the big world topics because they didn't want to depress people. But as you can see now, most of these movies are very topical and take head on what's going on in society. It's kind of it's kind of neat to see everyone's take on it.
1: Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, so, getting back to the plot, as they get older, Tom, played by James Cagney, as we've mentioned, and Matt, played by Edward Woods, not Ed Wood of,
0: <laughs> of Plan
1: Nine from Outer Space fame.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: uh, they work as truck drivers who steal for Putty Nose on the side. However. Their first big robbery at a warehouse goes wrong when Tom is scared by a bear rug and shoots at it <laughs> that uh, that we have to stop and kind of explain that one a little bit yeah they're stealing furs and as they pull back um like a a line of of fur coats, they see kind of like a it's like a bear rug or a taxidermied bear right. or something standing like that.
0: upright and
1: it it freaks out one of them and and they start firing their guns at it
0: well it's it's really good commentary i think on tom's character because it's tom who panics and shoots and he's been very blustery from now on telling matt we're not scared and being big macho man but like when the time comes he's the one who screws it all up and i think it's a it's a testament to the writers not making him a very admirable character he's a lot of bluster with not a lot of anything there to yeah
1: he's he's mean but it's mean to like people who are unarmed and yes are obviously you know below his weight class
0: right he's much like an angry little terrier we know who oh yeah takes out his control issues on those he thinks he can get away with it with <laughs> like me
1: Aw. the terrier um, bullies me yeah, so they're they're trying to rob this warehouse of furs, and it's our second fur.
0: Yeah, robbery. alibi had like furs too. I guess that was was that a thing? I, 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 I guess, guess so.
1: Yeah. Um the the shots fired alerts the cops who shoot one of Tom and Matt's fellow gang members, and one of them, Tom or or Matt, then shoots the uh, the police officer who's been chasing them.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: I and that. that they, you know, shoot him and then toss away the guns because they're evidence and they get away with that murder. Nothing is followed up on it at all.
0: Yeah, I kind of,
1: I kind of figured that it would be.
0: Um, I think it's just an example of how sometimes the when you you get away with crimes, sometimes when it's just very chaotic and there's no plan. Um, and yet sometimes if you do plan something to a T, that's when you get caught. It's a it's a strange kind of uh demonstration of sometimes it's going well screw it. it can sometimes work for you but yeah there's like a lot going on in this scene of just there was no need to like shoot the gangster that was running away
1: yeah yeah there was uh some poor decision making uh, on the part of the the one police officer taking on these like five armed gangsters yeah um not not to victim blame but he also did shoot one of the unarmed guys, guys <laughs> that was just like in was just the back there.
0: Yeah. That so it's a mess.
1: Yeah, and I, get, I think that's a common thread through all the movies that we've covered that are crime dramas is that the police are shown as violent and ineffective a lot of the time. Yep. Because and I think that's just kind of the feeling that was going around with Prohibition. It's just like we we have police who make um, bad decisions and also just kind of contribute to the violence without really resolving anything. No,
0: no. It's like pat themselves on the back for like shooting the petty criminal who was trying to st- steal for coats or a cake of beer. Meanwhile, that doesn't really affect the operation that hired this petty criminal to do that at no. all. Yeah. Yeah. There's just now a mother in hysterics because her son is dead for nothing and uh cops still feel like they've done a good job good for them
1: yeah right um so after they've shot the uh this cop they Tom and Matt escape but uh, their their employer putty nose leaves town
0: kind of leaving them in the lurch and it's really dumb luck that they're not tracked down really
1: right right they they're kind of in a panic because this was like their first big job yeah and Putty knows it like, oh, don't worry. If anything happens, I'll take care of you. Instead, he this just vanishes. is a banishes. small job.
0: You'll be fine. Yeah. He just vanishes. Yep. So time passes. When World War One breaks out, Mike enlists in the Marines. Before leaving, he confronts Tom about his criminal dealings and the two get into a fight.
1: And Mike is Tom's brother. Yes.
0: Right? Yeah. And, uh. You know, he doesn't come off too great either. He uh, sucker punches his brother when his brother says, you know, you're not so great either. You're taking money from the till. I mean, that's never fully explained. So it could be a baseless accusation, but uh kind
1: of get the feeling that it is. I mean, Mike is kind of presented as the as the good guy throughout. Even, yeah. Even if he is kind of harsh and
0: hair, trigger temper, like a little bit of his father in him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But he still he has principles.
0: He does, Um, uh, you know, as demonstrated by going into the Marines. He's like the good child. And obviously Tom has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, probably about that. And it's probably reminded a little bit of their father, who was, you know, nominally an enforcer of the law, but was more harsh than fair. So, yeah,
1: there's there's that. And um, although I would contend that their mother doesn't think of Mike as necessarily the good kid. It's she clear. is very forgiving of Tom and kind of willfully ignores, yeah, the, the truth of his criminal dealings. Yeah,
0: she says again and again that Tom is her baby, so there is some frank favoritism probably going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it must have been a a very strange upbringing to have on the one hand this father who beats you remorselessly and this mother who kind of overcompensates and babies you. It's there was no real way Tom was going to really grow into a. a well-balanced right. character.
1: It's a, it's a testament to the the movie storytelling that we have just now pulled that much out of these family dynamics in relatively few scenes.
0: Exactly. It's a good way of showing rather than telling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you pick up right away. The, the themes are familiar, and even though it's not familiar to have, like, a gangster relative in the middle of the family, you still kind of, you, you can put the pieces together and get a feel for these people. Yeah, and
0: see how logically it could happen.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so after Mike leaves, Tom continues his criminal activities with, uh, with Matt. And they finally get their big break when prohibition goes into effect. Uh, big time gang boss Patty Ryan, played by uh, Robert Emmett O'Connor, hire them as bootleggers, where their job is to intimidate barkeeps and distributors into selling their beer and only their beer. Uh, the gang really takes off when rich gangster Samuel Nails Nathan, played by Leslie Fenton, starts funding their enterprises.
1: And we never really learn why oh. his name is Nails. But no. I, but there is a certain menace about this very congenial, happy uh, yeah. gangster. I, I was always waiting for him to go crazy and shoot somebody or something like he that. He has
0: that look about him. But Leslie Fenton, uh, he really stands out. I feel like for the moment he shows up, he just has this kind of like way about him and like kind of kind of smile where it's very believable. He would be menacing in private life.
1: Right, right.
0: And uh, that so that's good. Again, without giving much away about him, we know like he's he's an important figure.
1: Yeah, I also thought it was cool. This is really neither here nor there, but they had a really great scene of them. I don't know if they were. Stealing the booze or just unloading it from a warehouse secretly, but it's them transferring various, by various like hoses and things like that, beer into a gasoline truck that they can then drive away. And it's, it's pretty interesting, this little operation that they have going. And that's kind of, um, I guess that's sort of how they start off since they are truck drivers in in their legitimate life. But then they kind of move up to enforcers.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and you notice because uh, that like the transitional scenes, they're always a little better dressed with a little bit better car each time we see them. Mm-hmm. So we could see this gradual uh, evolution. And but, you know, it's not like Tom's behavior gets any more refined. He absolutely terrorizes and bullies this one barkeep. When he realizes that he's not selling their beer Uh, as he slaps him around, like spits the beer in his face and like releases all the beer from their valves. And it's just a very childish display of power that it's clear. It's got straight to his head.
1: Yeah, it's scary, though.
0: It's very scary. I mean, and it's again, thanks to Cagney. He's like this little unleashed uh, pit bull who uh, Mm -hmm. is like relishing his opportunity to bite everybody.
1: Yeah. And there's also the um, the issue that we hear from the barkeep side where, you know, he's selling beer and we're not supposed to think of him as a bad guy. No, obviously. he's just trying to get by. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's doing what everyone wants him to do anyway. I mean, prohibition
0: so. screwed people like this over.
1: Exactly. And because we we know that he's also screwed over from the other end, too, because he's selling someone else's beer and those people are also. Putting pressure on him to only sell their beer.
0: Yeah, there's no way he's going to win this one. Like,
1: Yeah, no, nothing nothing good is going to come of this. Uh-uh. Uh, So there are not only like intense gang running around, there are more than one. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, Tom and Matt, however, grow more and more successful. Uh, Tom tires of his girlfriend, Kitty, played by Mae Clark, and begins uh, abusing her including famously shoving a grapefruit into her face. Now, was. um, Is that a famous scene?
0: It is, actually. And there's all sorts of stories that like Cagney and Wellman didn't tell uh, Clark that they were going to do it. No, wait, Clark was in on it. Uh, The crew wasn't. It was a big surprise. Who knows what the real story is? She does look
1: shocked either way.
0: Yeah, she does. I mean, and it's the scene, sadly, that she's most well known for. I mean, she was in a lot of good movies. Her performances were always good. but. She is most well known for getting a grapefruit in the kisser by one Jimmy Cagney. Oh, man. And again, it's just another example of just what a jerk Tom is at his core and how like any little demonstration of power he can make, he will make.
1: Yeah. And it's also very childish,
0: very childish. He's a stunted boy, basically.
1: Yeah. And even though I think like Matt progresses a little bit, Mm -hmm. Tom never does.
0: Tom never does. And as much as Matt progresses, sadly, he has been groomed by Tom, basically, to be his sidekick. And that's the role he's most comfortable in. And so it's a unhealthy dynamics all over the place in this thing.
1: Yeah, that's that's for sure. Uh so after the grapefruit incident, <laughs> uh, Tom turns his sights instead to the beautiful Gwen Allen, played by Gene Harlow, whom he picks up from a street corner. It's kind of a, a weird incident where. Uh, they're just driving around and he sees this attractive woman and just offers her a trip. Yeah,
0: literally picks her up. And she's like, yeah, sure. I mean, it's not a pickup in the sense that then they go and have sex. It's, you know, he drops her off where she needs to be, but they make a date. And uh, I don't think this wasn't Jean Harlow's first movie. I think like her first screen appearance was in like a Laurel and Hardy movie where like they close the door on her dress and she walks away without her dress. Va, va, um
1: that that sounds that tracks
0: yeah but she makes an impression in this definitely um she's I think that that platinum helmet of hair and just the way she carries herself she's definitely a presence and a very well well cast in this I think
1: yeah and she plays coy with Tom which seems dangerous but Tom loves it
0: yes yes I mean she obviously reads him well and uh knows how to like play him like a fiddle so that's fun
1: yeah and speaking of Matt getting more mature <laughs> <laughs> Matt is ready to settle down and marries his longtime girlfriend, Mamie. John is played by Joan Blondell, and um, as they celebrate at a restaurant, Tom and Matt spot Putty Nose
0: from way back,
1: from way back in the day. The their first employer and Fagin like, yep, role model, yep. Uh, they follow Putty Nose uh, to his home, and. Um, or is it to his home or do they like pull him off somewhere else?
0: They do. Well, they like right outside his home, they because they they follow very close behind him until he turns around, sees these two and goes, oh, hi, guys. And because uh, they're obviously very sore because he left them in the lurch after their botched first job. And um, he's like, oh, I would invite you in, but I have a lady waiting for me. But they basically oh, yeah, force right. themselves into his home anyways. And like, there's no girl here. And uh Yeah. Poor Putty knows.
1: Yeah, uh, despite Putty begging for his life and playing a song on the piano that he used to uh, play for the children at his little Fagin hideout, um, Tom shoots him out of revenge for abandoning them. And again, this is fairly petty. At least I got that impression because they're doing fine.
0: Yeah, they're doing just fine. I mean, there's no real reason other than just personal revenge.
1: And he always punches downwards, you notice. Yes,
0: exactly. So
1: Putty Nose is obviously not doing so, not doing as well as them for sure, and is begging and pleading and is fairly pathetic.
0: And you could tell that like Matt isn't relishing this when Tom shoots Putty Nose, where actually the camera is on Matt. Matt has kind of distanced himself physically. He's like by the window and lets Tom do it. So it's clear that, you know, Tom is the driving force in this partnership. And yeah, like you said, punches down. I mean, Putty knows he's in a nice house. He's got a nice suit. He was at the nice restaurant. But he's compared to Tom and Matt working for Nails and Patty. He's small potatoes to them. And that is why Tom feels like he get get away with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure.
0: But uh, later on, Mike returns from the war. That's Tom's brother. And he's obviously suffering from some PTSD
1: of he's, some kind. Of he's some intense. Kind. He's
0: very he, intense. He's very brooding. Um, he learns from an acquaintance that although Tom has told their adoring mother, played by Beryl Mercer, that uh, his money is coming from a career in politics, it's uh, really coming from his dirty dealings with Patty and Nails. Mike is incensed and starts another fight with Tom, which distresses their mother, of course. Yes,
1: they're they're. Doting, kind of adorably typecast mother.
0: Yeah, she is just very much your typical, like, hand wringing, kind of sad eyed mother. Yeah, did, did
1: we confirm that she also played Joyce in, in East Lynn?
0: I don't think she did. I think that was an it's English It's a very woman. similar character. Very so that might similar. Be very, me off. yeah. Um, obviously, kind of a stock mom character in this time, <laughs> but very effective, I think
1: right yeah so tom and matt's luck turns when nails dies after a horse riding accident and
0: totally by chance he just falls off a horse and dies like
1: yeah and when they first hear about it they're kind of like oh crap and uh, the first assumption of course is that
0: he was bumped off he was murdered
1: yeah but but it's just complete happenstance
0: and it's what like gets them on this downward spiral and it's just totally a freak accident you know best laid plans of mice and jimmy cagney you know
1: right and mike had kind of warned him i feel like i remember that that uh mike warned him that this is not going to last no essentially and that's part of the uh the fight is like you know not only is it dishonorable and dangerous it's just you're not going to be able to keep this up and when it falls apart He's going to break the heart of his poor mother who's been thinking that he's been part of this political job this whole time.
0: Yeah, Matt is definitely the more sympathetic brother. I mean, especially now. I mean, he's obviously seen some crap overseas and now has to come home and deal with his smarmy brother breaking the law and soon to be breaking his mother's heart. So you get where he's coming from. And then, yeah, like right on cue, Nails dies and starts exactly what he predicted into motion.
1: Right. Uh, Tom very childishly gets very enraged about Nails dying and tracks down the horse and shoots it.
0: It's just a very good character detail. Like, you know, right when you see the stables and you see Tom and Matt come in, like, oh, they really are just going to be that petty and shoot the dang horse, aren't they? And they do. Yeah, yeah. At least they didn't show it. At least they didn't show it. You just hear it and it's like, well, good for you guys. I'm sure that was so satisfying. <laughs>
1: And I think a bolder choice would have been for them to not pay for it first.
0: That's true. I, I, no, I disagree. I think that's a, it's like a, you know, like it's all, they're trying on the surface to make it like a business transaction. You know, this is business, not personal, but it obviously is. And they are fooling no one.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I take your point. I just thought it would be cool if they like just walked up and, and did it because they're horrible monsters, but. I guess they're not quite at horrible, horrible monster level yet. They're
0: horrible (laughs) monsters, but they are on the payroll themselves. So they know that, you know, this has to look at least on the surface business. I guess
1: there's a touch of arrogance about it, too, Mm -hmm. that like, oh, well, we're just going to buy your horse and then shoot it.
0: Well, I mean, it's like in Godfather uh, when uh, like Sonny like gets mad and smashes that like photographer's camera at his sister's wedding and then immediately throws down some cash. Like like I can throw my temper tantrum. Because I have the money to back it up so that I never actually have to uh, face any consequences for it. It's very mob mob mentality.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I've revised my stance. All right. It's good that they paid for the <laughs> Um, I don't know why we have that uh, sidetrack, but there we go.
0: There we go. Uh,
1: Nails' death sparks in mob war after rival gang leader, uh, schemer, Burns, decides to take advantage of the loss of Patty's backer. Patty convinces Tom and Matt to lie low at his mistress's house. But after she, uh, trigger warning, uh, date rapes Tom, he leaves in disgust and Matt following behind him.
0: Yeah, I feel like that was an interesting choice the writers made and and a good one to show that, like, you know, even... Even the, like, seemingly harmless uh, gangster malls can be creeps. Uh, basically, she just gets Tom really drunk and, see, and, you know, follows him to his bedroom and he's like, nope, you know, hey, get out of here. And she does not and then, like, kind of taunts him about it in the morning. And it's just like, yeah, lady, that wasn't OK.
1: Yeah, it it wasn't good.
0: No, you could get and Tom's reaction. It's just like, yeah, this isn't a good life, bud. No matter what you tell yourself.
1: And I think it's at this point where things really turn for um for Tom in terms of having quote unquote good luck. Yeah. the The gravy train has stopped. He's trapped. He is uh, has is assaulted, and. So everything is going poorly for him mm-hmm. at this point. And, and it's, it's a very rapid so switch. Fast, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, as they're leaving, so they've been told to lay low and Patty takes all of their guns and their cash. So they can't go anywhere. And it's at that point after, you know, she's taunting him about what happened. He, you know, takes his ever faithful friend, Matt, and they just try to leave and they get mowed down by a machine gun nest that's been set up by the rival gang that's just been hanging out outside of their door.
0: Right. And there's like a, what, a cement mixing truck or no, a coal truck uh, kind of uh, parked by the building the whole time that like makes a lot of noise and makes them think that that, that there's machine gun fire near them. But, oh, no, it's just that coal truck. And so you start putting the pieces together. Oh, that was probably planted there by the rival gang. Yeah. To, to like, you know. Cover
1: up the noise of yeah. machine gun fire. I, that must be an awfully loud uh, coal truck. truck. I guess it stays there for hours. It's funny because they notice it uh, late at night.
0: Yeah. And then it's, <laughs> like,
1: the next scene where you see it, it's, like, the morning. So... Yeah, I guess it takes a long time to unload coal.
0: <laughs> uh I mean that has to be uh what they were banking on and the they bought it hook line and sinker. Uh
1: so uh when they're shot, Matt is the one that goes down and I believe Tom is injured at least or he seems to be injured but he keeps going.
0: Well, he doesn't get injured until um he decides to take some revenge of his own. I think he misses oh, out on oh, the, right. yeah, on the gunfire. Yeah.
1: He's able to round a corner. Yeah. Just, just in time. Just in time. But, but, but he's... poor Met the one that is a little bit more on the ball, the one that just got married, the one that seems to be kind of getting his life in shape.
0: But who's still devoted to Tom. And that's, he follows him out of the house. Like, Hey, you can't leave without me. We're a uh, part and parcel. And, uh, well,
1: Yeah. He he
0: pays the price.
1: Um, A heartbroken Tom uh, single-handedly busts into Burns' base and shoots several of his men. Tom is wounded and taken to the hospital, and it's not even clear if he's taken out Burns.
0: No. He's able to
1: walk out of the building, which kind of made me think that that he won. Um,
0: It does seem like it. Wikipedia seems to think he takes out Burns, but I'm like, does he? Because, as we'll see, the Burns gang isn't quite done yet.
1: Right. Uh when uh yeah, so Tom is wounded as he goes on this like one man assault on the uh on the Burns hideout. Yeah. Um with uh two guns that he stole because remember Patty already took his gun. Right,
0: that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forget he sticks up uh, a gun place. He it's with, like, with
1: no guns, which yeah. is kind of amusing. He asks this uh this I think it's like a pawn shop or something like that, is like the person selling the guns. And it's says, like, hey, so I would like to see like this type of gun. And it's like, hey, so how do you work it? And how does this do you have another one? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Here's another one. And he just shows like he asks, so how do I load the bullets like this? And he puts the bullets in and sticks up the guy who seems surprised.
0: Yeah. At first, he thinks he's joking and kind of laughs. But then like, oh, oh,
1: <laughs> not not the cleverest uh, shopkeep there. Well, a bit hapless, perhaps. The last three gangsters who tried <laughs> to do this just wanted to steal the gun.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So anyway, yeah. Getting back to uh, to Tom. Getting taken to the hospital after he's wounded from all these bullet wounds. Um, when his mother and Mike visit him, Tom promises to do better with his life. Uh, later at the power's home, Patty informs Mike that Burns' mob has kidnapped Tom out of the hospital. Mike hides this news from his mother. However, when someone calls and notifies Mike that Tom is returning, Mike rejoices and tells his mother that Tom is coming home. As his mother happily prepares Tom's bedroom for his return, Mike answers the door. Tom's corpse falls dead to the floor in front of him and his shocked mother.
0: Not a lot of shocked mothers. Mother's still upstairs uh, singing happily. That's kind of... The the little contrast of just Mike kind of shell shocked once again, Mm -hmm. seeing his brother here and knowing that eventually he will have to let his mother know it's, it's a brutal ending.
1: Yeah. And then the movie just ends.
0: Yeah, then The movie just ends and with its little disclaimer, like, Hey, don't be like this.
1: Yeah. It's like, this is the fate of, of all hoodlums. And it's what I noticed though, is that
0: it's not, it's not particularly
1: judgy about it. It's just kind of like, yeah, if you lead this life, this is what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, them's the breaks, you will be left dead on your mother's doorstep.
1: I mean, and Tom is clearly an evil person, but they don't kind of like harp on on like, well, you know. It, it's not exactly a shaming movie. It's not like see what happened, and he doesn't have like this big revelation at the end. Really, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to get my life together, but you don't believe it.
0: Not really. You could see that like he might mean it in the moment, but that he will probably. It's it's not a lifestyle you really leave on your own
1: you get the feeling that he's doing it for the sake of his mother and his brother who he's trying to reconcile with. Yeah. And he's having some sort of revelations a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think losing Matt really kind of jars him.
1: Yeah. And it also makes us it, again, this movie is very skillful yeah. at, at playing your emotions like a harp. It's um, it. he, suddenly becomes sympathetic right before something terrible happens to him and he dies. Yeah. Which I think was just very skillful of the filmmakers to, you know, this person that you really aren't supposed to like through most of the movie suddenly kind of becomes like, well, I guess he wants to get better. And at least he's being nice enough to his mother and his And his brother is kind of at least a little bit of hopeful. You get a sense of hope from Mike. Yeah,
0: because we can't know for certain what his motivations were in that hospital scene because we he loses his life. So we never get to know if he would really follow through on that.
1: Yeah. And for all of the conflict that you've seen between the two brothers, you do get the sense that at least Mike from his end. Mike actually loves his his brother, even if he despises what he does.
0: Right. He want you know, he's a baby brother. Uh, So Mike wants to take care of him probably and take care of his mom. And now this is what he's left with, like his brother's corpse and his mom oblivious upstairs. And we don't know what his next step is going to be. And it's totally out of Mike's hands and not anything he ever did to deserve this. Right. So it's just an example of how uh, this kind of criminal depraved lifestyle touches everyone.
1: Yeah. And it's all because of prohibition, by the way. It is
0: all because of prohibition. (laughs) Uh, It was a dumb move on America's part. I'm just going to say.
1: Yeah. And you also get kind of the sense since they have not like so much face on, like hammered to that point. But you do notice that like everything has to do with booze.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and it's not. I didn't pick up on them shaking the finger at um, at people for like wanting booze. It wasn't like, and see, just because you want booze, that's why this guy is dead. It's like, no, it's because he's a hoodlum, yeah, and went around being violent. And violence engenders violence and this is what happened to And him. also
0: Prohibition gave like petty criminals like him suddenly this huge nationwide platform to really become rich and successful, whereas they probably would have just petered out as like petty criminals. But now they have this huge enterprise where they can yeah. really kind of control Chicago, control the big cities, and it's all because of this stupid law.
1: Yep. So that's the plot of the movie. Shall we move on to rating? The yeah, public let's enemy? do this. OK. So speaking of our first categories, these uh, first categories, the first four are acting, writing, cinematography and overall. And we're going to rate these on a scale of zero to ten. Um, we have gone into negatives before, but that's for really, 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 really bad movies which yeah. I, I'm not going to think we're going to go into negatives here.
0: I do not believe so. No.
1: So, um, acting
0: negative 50. No.
1: Um,
0: yeah, I think I'm going to go, you know, Cagney carries this picture. I don't think it would have had the same impact without him. Um, you know, the other at uh, like performances are good too. Nothing really stands out to me. I think, uh,
1: Yeah, nothing stands out as bad.
0: No, like Fenton as Nails, like we mentioned, was was very well cast for what turned out to be a pretty small role, really. But still, he made an impression. Um, You know, Harlow, you know, I can't say she got much of a chance to really stretch her any kind of acting muscle. But she has, you know, that really, you know, kind of unique, stark presence. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll give this one like a I'll give it a nine. A nine. Yeah. I mean, mostly on the strength of Cagney.
1: I was also thinking of a nine it's really solid um some really strong acting no bad acting Mm -mm. um all of the characters really felt fleshed out you believed them
0: yeah which Um, without a lot of like backstory explicitly painted out either just these characters really these actors just really seem to live their characters
1: yeah even the um even the comic relief shopkeep is not a comic relief character. It's not no. he's not goofy at all. He's just kind of like a poor dope. Like, so.
0: oh, I just wanna get by without being shot. Yeah.
1: All right. So good job on acting, public enemy. Two nines, doing well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, let's see. So writing, how did the writing go? I'm gonna say pretty well.
0: Pretty well. Um, a very good balance of uh giving us enough information to know what's going on but without holding our hands through it either so i might have to give it another nine honestly
1: yeah it's i'm also going to give it a nine as well it was skillfully done yeah um just a lot of nuance uh the story was um it's just like a, a classic arc of course but it also just felt very real it didn't feel phony or constructed or anything like that it just um you just bought all of this and had a lot of interesting characters
0: you could tell like the little disclaimers before and after the movie were probably kind of shoehorned in by the producers who decided oh well we got to we got to make sure we come down strongly uh, you know against the, the 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 gangsters and blah 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 so i mean it they probably didn't need those little taglines before and after, like condemning criminals, because I think the movie itself speaks for itself and does not. I mean, yeah, it's sure. I mean, it glorifies in the sense that we see Cagney and everybody in nice suits and, and everything. But it's clearly not a lifestyle that ends well for him. So I think like you don't need little taglines. The movie speaks for itself.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It would have gotten that, that full 10, maybe, if it didn't have, have the, the, little the superfluous disclaimers.
0: Yeah, I don't blame the movie for it. I probably, it's probably the execs, as usual.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I also think that I, you're exactly right. It, it, did, it did fulfill those, um, that message anyways, without needing to have a disclaimer at the front and the back. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Moving on, it got it got double nine. So that's nine. that's pretty good. Snickers. eyes. All right. So cinematography.
0: Cinematography was very good. Um, I'm trying to think of I feel like there were some very impressive shots. Um, I feel like the whole reveal of like the stuffed bear well, was sufficiently creepy. And the, the kind of run through the alley afterwards was very well, well framed. Um I see some shadows and like sparse lighting from the streetlights and everything. So I, but I mean, nothing that really kind of really took my breath away. So we'll give it an eight instead of a nine. Try to be a little more critical, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give it an eight as well. It was, it was just very well shot. Um, Nothing groundbreaking necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not Citizen Kane, but it used the cinematography of the time really well. It was very creative with it, especially with um, considering, you know, you could have just said, this is a movie about gangsters Mm -hmm. and they, they didn't take that. um, They didn't decide to just make it unartistic. Right. uh, With that. So that is double eights. We're agreeing on, on everything this time. It's cool. Yeah. Okay. And overall, How well does the acting, writing and cinematography work together to make an overall product? I'm I'm going to give it another nine.
0: I am debating giving it a 10. Uh Oh, I think I will just because, I mean, it's a classic and I think it's a well-deserved classic. Um, You know, if I think one ingredient was missing, it would kind of diminish it a little like. Uh, if they didn't have Cagney, there wouldn't be that punch. If the Mm -hmm. writing wasn't good, it would just be a vehicle for Cagney, but probably not that memorable. And if the cinematography hadn't been there, it would have just been like a straight gangster tale, which would have been, you know, still good because it would still have the writing and Cagney, but it it wouldn't be as an artistic achievement, I think. So I think it all flows together pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would would agree so. Um, So... Going into the bonus, bonus. round, it is already at a 71, which puts it just below East Lynn.
0: Wow, and,
1: All right? And uh, we know
0: how this one ends at least.
1: Yeah, and let's see, it is at 71, already ahead of Alibi, which is not a dissimilar movie, but no,
0: but this is a lot more effective. Y-
1: yeah, it was. I like, I like mentioning alibi. It seems, but it wasn't that great of a
0: movie. It just it was missing something, and I think it was like missing like a really strong like Cagney presence, right? Or just didn't really get us that emotionally involved in any of the characters. And this did, and again, without hammering it home either, it just told a story and told it well. It's
1: true. It's doing it's a all good you got to do. Yeah. First bonus round. These are rated from zero to five. How many bonus points are we going to give them for costumes and set?
0: Oh, I'm every single movie in this era. I'm sorry. I'm just going to give it a five. I love <laughs> every gown. Every woman wears I would wear in a heartbeat. I mean, and, and the gangsters do look snappy in their suits. Um, the sets were very good too. I think um, like in the warehouse and uh like the various restaurants that they go to and you know it's a nice little touch that you know the first time we see them meet uh kitty and mamie it's it's in a pretty nice upscale restaurant but in the one that they go to for matt's wedding reception they've risen so far in the ranks that it is like way upscale
1: right, right. and
0: uh i think that you a know, very nice touch yeah there. there's
1: some skillful costuming in that um And that they're doing just a little bit better each time you see them. And that is reflected in how their costume. Yep. Um, I'm also going to give it a five. Uh, I was about to give it a four just because like, well, that's just what people wore. But you're right. It's um, it's the fact that they also use the costumes to tell a story as well. Right.
0: That's a very good way to put it.
1: Okay. so double fives. This movie is doing very well.
0: Yeah. And we seem to agree on that. Hey, (laughs)
1: Okay, going on to boldness, uh, what risks does this movie take that pay off?
0: I'm going to go with another five. They take lots of risks. I mean, I think by putting so because where where Alibi went wrong, I think, is that the whole movie allegedly revolves around uh, Chester Morris's character. Mm -hmm. And yet we never really get to know him. That's true. And he's just kind of this blank. Whereas with Tom who is just as unlikable, really, as Chester Morris's character, yet we follow his story from when he was a little boy and beaten by his father. Yeah, we get his whole
1: backstory. We get
0: his whole backstory. So while it doesn't make anything he does less repulsive, we have that context. And I think it's bold to do that. And also, you know, that final shot of him, like on that stand, like upright on the stretcher, just freaking dead. Mm -hmm. is just it's a frightening shot and i think pretty pretty gutsy so i'm yeah yeah five on bold
1: i'm I'm also going to give it a five um for for all the reasons you mentioned um is very real uh yeah compared to alibi which they were about the same length too just in case anyone's wondering if this was like wildly long given all the the meat inside of it it uh it was only something like 80 85 minutes or something like that long and they packed a lot of intense material into that time but it was still it was still enjoyable to watch it was um which again i think that was also speaking to boldness uh they yeah. weren't they weren't too afraid to kind of make these guys look cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's why the producers probably panicked and put in those little uh little uh disclaimers is like, oh wait, this is making it look kind of not fun, but glamorous. Hey,
1: yeah, if you do this, then you get a nice car and fancy A nice suits. car
0: and nice fancy suits so and maybe Gene Harlow as your girlfriend.
1: <laughs> okay, so the next category is legacy. Um what impact does this movie have on movies going forward? I'm thinking another five. It's getting five. a five
0: five for me. Uh, I think it's the movie that really put Jimmy Cagney on the map, and he's going to dominate this this genre for a good long spell and only get better with each movie, in my opinion. And um, obviously, I think it kind of reinvigorated the gangster genre that, you know, had its movies like Alibi and The Racket. But this, I think, is the one that kind of gave it, if not prestige, at least um, publicized the genre enough that it became yeah. even more popular.
1: It feels like the foundation of the genre in yes. earnest. Yeah. Um, 1930s crime movies starts with this movie here in yeah. the 1930 or 31. I can't it's remember. It's
0: 31, I believe. Yes. Oh, there we go. There we go. But the, yeah. The
1: first official year of the decade.
0: Yes. Right. <laughs>
1: Uh, Let's see. So longevity, how well does this movie stand up? Um, I think it stands up exceptionally well because we still have prohibition, just not of alcohol. And there is that aspect of it. And that's the only thing that is maybe a little bit anachronistic.
0: It's timely, I think, in that it shows how stupid the mentality of like the war on drugs, the war on alcohol is fundamentally and how it doesn't solve. Any of the big societal problems that it, you mm-hmm. know, pretends it does. And so, I mean, I think it, there are echoes of it now in society. So I'm going to, um, I'll give it another five. <laughs> it's just creaming the, cream in the bonus rounds here.
1: Yeah. Um, let me see. Will I give it a four or a five?
0: I was debating on four, but. I don't know. I still think because it is so watchable today that it earns its five in my estimation. I understand if you give it a four.
1: I can't really think of a reason to give it a four is the thing. Yeah. It's just like it's it's definitely watchable. There's no there's nothing that feels like ridiculously anachronistic. It's it does feel like a modern gangster movie even now. Right. Uh, So I am. Going to give it another five.
0: Okay, let's just go all out on this one, all guns a blazing.
1: All right, and last is uh, technical. Let's think what sort of technical expertise well, gets put into it. I mean,
0: this will get released least for me because, as uh, like Pauline Kale and other people have pointed out, it is kind of goofy that the main song on the soundtrack is "I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles," which is just this kind of like goofy twenties <laughs> song that's like doesn't really belong in a gangster movie I mean other than that you know uh, the sound effects were very good like the the coal truck you know you could see why they flinch when they hear that they think it might be the machine guns so I'll give it a 2 a 2? yeah you know at, at the very last I'll be critical
1: I think I think a 2 is fair yeah um and I'm going to give it a two as well. And I think it's all the same reason. It's not like they did anything technically bad. Right. It was just that th- this is just not a, like a technical expertise movie.
0: No, and that's fine. It doesn't need to be. They,
1: they did make him up look really, really well when they have him fall down dead. Oh,
0: it's such a it's such a memorable scene. You know, I'd seen this years ago, but for some reason I had forgotten about that until like, Once he got the phone call, I was like, oh, no. And I remembered and I was like, oh, God, because, you know, when I first see him, I'm like, is he okay?" Like, we don't know. And then we see, oh, no, he's not.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure either, because he he gets he when he opens the door, he's propped up. So you're not sure if he's just there half dead or dead dead. And when he collapses onto the floor, you're like, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, he's dead. And it's very traumatic, really. And I, it's just such so perfectly shot. And uh, it's a haunting movie, honestly.
1: That it is. And it is also a movie with 115 points.
0: Holy crud. Is that like the highest scored yet?
1: It is not the highest scored yet because I believe. Let's see. All Quiet on the Western Front had 119.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's well learned. learned. That is very fair. They're, yeah. you know, not dissimilar feels, uh, I feel like vibes with this movie. Yeah, absolutely. haunting, um, just mindless violence that it's it, it, the my the violence itself is mindless, but how it's used is not mindless. It's very relevant yeah. and and important to the plot. A lot
1: of a lot of realism.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And it, and just despair
0: and very yeah, no, no polish, no Hollywood sparkle, and uh, you know, you you gotta love something that gives Cagney a chance to be Cagney.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It uh, it did beat Big House by by eight points, so not by much.
0: I'd say I'd say they're about at the same level. I think those movies yeah. are are um c- comparable, really comparable, um, and kind of again have very similar. Uh, uses of violence and uh you know I feel like public enemy wins in the ending department because it's such a bleak but oh, realistic yeah. ending whereas Big House was a little bit with a bow on top. But uh yeah. Um I don't think this is the last time we'll see Cagney or see a gangsta picture during our our journey. In it's fact the 30s for sure. In thirties and uh we might what let's check out Little Caesar from the same year and that's a very similar movie. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, yeah. We're uh,
1: so do you feel that we should give it a notsker nomination I th- for this year, even though the Academy did not?
0: I think it's time we right some wrongs from the past and give this its much deserved notsker nom. What say you?
1: I I definitely would agree. Yes, Just, <laughs> especially considering the movies that did get the notsker, the ot- the actual the Os- Oscar, the actual Oscar nomination. <laughs> um. Yeah, this movie pretty much just blows them out on the, the water. I mean,
0: I think we could definitely safely hand Jimmy Cagney the Best Actor Oscar, even without seeing the other movies. Nominated. Better,
1: better than Skippy.
0: You know, I mean, I think Cooper would be my second choice, but uh, for Best Actor, I think we got to go with with the, with Jimmy.
1: Oh, imagine like a Public Enemy prequel where Skippy is the <gasps> Jackie Cooper plays young Tom.
0: Oh my gosh. That would have been great. I would have yeah, loved it. Yeah, give me a beer. Give me a beer, see? <laughs> I loved it. Oh, with little Asuki as Matt. Oh no,
1: it's sad again. <laughs> oh man. Well, so that is the Public Enemy. Everyone. Much recommended. check Thank it you out for if listening. You can. Yes. And if if you've enjoyed this, share it with your friends. We've uh, you have been flagging a little bit on our listenership. So yeah, bo- what the boost, heck? Boost that up.
0: We should go. We should. Enter these people's homes, slap them around, like break all their <laughs> devices until they start listening to us. See?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, some of them are abroad, which is very gratifying, though. That's so. pretty
0: cool. Uh, hello to uh, people abroad. I, I'm a little jealous that you're probably uh, have a government that cares about uh, staunching COVID. So I'm bitter about you, but also realizing that it's because you guys do things right.
1: Yeah, COVID is very much a growing reality now even in late 2020 so it's uh it's not great over here right now but we're you know huddling in home watching movies and recording podcasts about them
0: if you feel the uncontrollable need to go out and see people just watch public enemy it will give you a the satisfaction of like you know a distraction but also remind you humans aren't that worth seeing
1: that's a good point yeah that's a good point laura it is. People aren't worth that much seeing.
0: <laughs> Why isn't our listenership up? I'm very confused. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we, everyone's a jerk except for you, dear listener.
0: Yes. all. You're, oh, you're all right. You're going places, kid.
1: Absolutely. Um, you're ready for the big time. And I think with that, you can find us on Twitter at Comeback A Star. You can email us if you'd like at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com We do have a Facebook page, and like I say every week, it is little frequented, and is lacking posts. So...
0: <laughs> go on there, uh, go nuts!
1: Yeah, go ahead, start a post. Um,
0: Try to keep it on topic, but you know, we can't control what you do.
1: <laughs> uh, except for we can't moderate, but oh, still. Oh, right. We'll, uh, you don't
0: have to let them know that.
1: Uh, Yeah. It's been great talking with you. Um, Thank you, Laura.
0: Thank you, Jason.
1: We never thank each other.
0: I know. What's wrong with us?
1: Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.